this fiat currency that we have now it's funny money it is nothing it is it is not freedom hello there from bedford how are you all welcome to the what bitcoin did podcast which is brought to you by the mighty kraken best place to buy sell and trade bitcoin i'm your host peter mccormack and today i have an interview with adam brown and sean finch from the libertarian party in the uk to discuss libertarian engagement in politics but before that I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors, and please do check them out, because without these sponsors, I would not be able to do this. So first up, we have BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services, and yesterday they announced the launch of their mobile app, and I downloaded it. It's pretty amazing. They've done a really, really solid job with it. Packed so much into the app. It has a quick and easy sign-up, so you can get started in just minutes, allowing you to earn interest, borrow USD, and instantly access your portfolio. You can open up a BlockFi interest account and earn money on your Bitcoin. You can use your Bitcoin as collateral and take out a USD loan. And the app enables funds to be transferred directly from your crypto wallet into your BlockFi account. The app also includes market expertise. They've got the most amazing and sophisticated security. They keep your crypto secure by working with their primary custodian, Gemini, a regulated trust company and the crypto industry's most trusted financial custodian. And that's not all. They've got so much more coming. They're going to be smashing it with this app in the coming months with lots of new features. If you want to check it out, it is available for the iPhone and Android. Just search in the app store for BlockFi, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I. Also, let's talk about Kraken. It's a very good time to talk about Kraken. The market is booming right now. We went over 10K last night, which is pretty cool. I think it is Bitcoin's time to, again, show the world what it's made of. And listen, if you are interested in buying and selling Bitcoin, Kraken puts the power in your hands to trade. At Kraken.com, it could not be easier to sign up and buy Bitcoin. And they also have a beautiful mobile-first app so you can buy Bitcoin on the go. With their 24-7, 365 customer support, they will help you with any issues, whoever you are, wherever you are. And with their world-class security, they are the most trusted cryptocurrency exchange on the market. There is no better place to buy and sell and trade Bitcoin. Find out more by heading to Kraken.com or download the app, which is available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N. P-R-O. Okay, on to the show. And firstly, I'm a little bit tired. Had a late night last night. And firstly, staying up and watching Bitcoin go over 10k was pretty cool. I also got into a very long poker match with a whole bunch of crypto heads. I was there with Luke Martin, Charlie Lee, Ari Paul, Jeremy Gardner. Who else was there? Anyway, it was a bad start. I lost, uh, I lost a big hand to Luke Martin, but I managed to recover back. I managed to break even. It was a lot of fun. Anyway, let's talk about the show. So today I've got Adam Brown and Sean Finch from the Libertarian Party in the UK. So listen, if you're a long-term listener of the show, you will know over the last 18 months I've been going down the Libertarian rabbit hole, learning about what is essentially a new subject to me, a new way of thinking about politics and the organisation of people. And I've spoken to as many people as possible from those in the industry, such as Eric Voorhees, which I think two or three times I've spoken to Eric, and also prominent Libertarians outside of Bitcoin, such as Scott Horton. And... I often come out with more questions and answers, and while I sympathise with so much libertarian stand for, there are aspects I've not been able to resolve in my head. And listen, I know that pisses some people off, but I've got to go on my journey, got to go and figure it out for myself. Now, one of the things specifically is those libertarians who do not want to engage with the political process. Now, I understand it. I totally get it because the political process is the problem. But I've always thought without engaging with it, how do you dismantle it? How do you improve things? There is no big red button to end the state. 
But wins in the political process or a goal of reducing the state and moving toward localism is surely a win. So I've always wondered why more libertarians don't want to engage with the political process and reduce the size of the state to ultimately get towards their goal. And another thing I've wrestled with is the differences between the US and the UK. Look, most of the libertarians I speak to are usually in the US, but we are in the UK culturally very different. We also have different laws. In the UK, the laws around certain issues are a lot more reserved. So we have strict gun laws, we have socialised healthcare, and we have stricter laws about defamation. And I even asked some of my friends recently on Facebook what they think about socialised healthcare, and often it comes back, do not touch our NHS. It is the envy of the world. So these are these are tricky subjects. So when I was approached by the UK Libertarian Party, uh, Sean got in touch and said, you know, he's interested in the show, he is a Bitcoiner, would we? Would I be interested in talking to him? I was like, fine, yeah. So I agreed to talk to Adam Brown, the party leader, and Sean Finch himself, the coordinator. Okay, so one note with this, there was a slight issue with the sound during the recording. We didn't notice it at all uh, after the show, so the sound does get a bit sketchy in places, but it is worth bearing with because it is quite interesting to understand their approach, why they're engaged with the the political process and how they see UK laws. So I think this is a worthy show of doing. I really enjoyed it. But if you do have any questions or feedback, you can hit me up. It is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Outside of that, any other content you want to check out, please do go and check out my other show, Defiance at defiance.news. Outside of that, yeah, you want to reach out to me, just hit me up and I look forward to hearing from you and have a great weekend. Hi, Adam. Hi, Sean. How are you both? Yeah, great. Thanks. Yes, great. Thank you. Uh, thank you for both coming on the show. It's nice to talk to some UK libertarians. I'm usually talking to American libertarians, so that comes with a couple of different things I have to think about in that most of them uh, have a, a very different approach or thoughts on, say, weapons than, than I do living in the UK. And while I appreciate their thoughts on defence, I, I struggle even even in my most libertarian days, to even consider wanting to a change in the UK for us to actually have weapons, which is something I'm going to ask you about. But I'd like to use today as a, a chance to learn a bit more about what you do and your views on libertarianism. And um, One of the starting points for me is that you're a libertarian party and there are some people who believe in no government at all and even engaging in the world of politics is anti-libertarian. Where are you on this? <laughs> So I think the main view, um, and whilst I understand the view that if you are a libertarian political party, you're a bit of an oxymoron, um, my view is that the political system of the country believes in us, um, even if we don't believe in it. So at the end of the day, I think it would actually be great if you didn't need a political party to work in the current system we have. But as we have that current system, that current system is going to work on us regardless. So my goal, um, my personal goal, why I got into it is always just to start moving that political conversation towards a libertarian ideal. The way I look at kind of the ANCAPs is they, they want to decide on the great destination, but 90% of the population haven't even heard that the journey is possible. So, you know, let's not worry about whether we're getting the train to Manchester or Birmingham. Let's start building tracks and we can work out where we're going to stop when we get there. So that's why I got into it. Um, obviously, Sean probably has his own reasons, but that's why I think it's not an oxymoron. Yeah, it's what I've noticed is, is I mean, I, I've given speeches about this and many people, especially when I'm doorstep canvassing, have never even heard of the word libertarianism. They, they can barely pronounce it. They often think that I'm actually from the Liberal Democrats and it's that's not the case at all. 
I think personally, um, the word libertarianism has maybe unknown if it's unintentional, but it has been suppressed, I think, in education. I mean, I, I studied government and politics, and I, I it was the word itself was rarely used. I mean, I've still got my government and politics books from uh, college. And even despite there being pages and pages of conservatism, of socialism, of liberalism, when it comes to libertarianism, there's one page and it's a very short paragraph. And I think that it's almost like what Henry Ford said about economics. It's, it's not that it's not being uh, not being tried to be taught in schools. It's that our, our economy is based on people not understanding how economics works. Or he said that, you know, if people understood how our, our economy and how our monetary system works, there would be a revolution tomorrow. And I think if people really were taught libertarianism, the idea that, you know, you solve your own problems, don't rely on a government to solve your, own, to solve your problems. I think that it would therefore eliminate this big sort of state that we have now. And I think that might be a reason why it's not taught. But. That's just my theory anyway. Okay, so cards on the table. I'm in complete agreement with both of you. So one of my struggles with some of the people I've discussed libertarianism with is that how do you actually move the needle forward? Um, I've always found it quite difficult to envisage a libertarian world. And in my preparation for my interview with Scott Horton, he actually talks about, in one article, talks about the big red button. And actually, it would be dangerous to press the big red button. And I kind of like the idea or the thoughts of how do you actually wean yourself off big government? I did an interview with a guy called Eric Voorhees, and he said, rather than have a goal of no government, the goal should be less government every year striving for less government and smaller government. And that's something I, I agree with and, and, and I support. So I'm actually with you both, but I did I did want to ask that question. So let's talk a little bit about the party because similar to you, well, I'd never heard of libertarianism certainly three years ago and I never really, I didn't really start to look into it till about 18 months ago. Mm. And when I try and talk to some of my friends about it, it feels like most people are conditioned to this I say two-party politics because, generally speaking, it's two-party politics. I know we have third and fourth, fifth party in the UK, but generally it's 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 left and right. I think people are so conditioned to uh, to this the current kind of status quo that we have a party. If if we're unhappy with the party four years later, we get to vote them out. But there is never really this consideration of this kind of third option of of trying to reduce the size of government. Why why do you think that is? Well, I think if you go back to Sean's answer to the last question, you have to ask who is actually in control of the education in the country, um, and that is the government, and it's in the government's best interests to make you think that the opposite of left is right, or the opposite of Labour is conservative. You know, I don't know how much you know about looking at the political spectrums that we look at, but we look at the, the quadrants where you have authoritarian at the top and libertarian at the bottom. And to me, that's where the real battle is. It's about personal freedom, personal responsibility versus subcontracting out your personal responsibilities to the state. The state's interest is in never having you see that that is a possibility. It's not in the state's interest to make you question whether, you know, we should be paying the amount of taxation that we have, whether the government are the right people to be looking after healthcare, um, monetary policy. You know, is it a better situation where people can manage it better themselves? 
why would the government ever promote that as an option? Similarly to Sean, um, my background, I've got degrees in um, politics and economics. And, you know, we did about two years on um, Marxism and on Keynesianism. We did about two weeks on uh, libertarian thinkers, even the kind of Enlightenment thinkers um, of the the post, like the first Enlightenment age. You hardly touch them other than to say they believed in individual rights and now we know that they're wrong and that the um, community is more important than the individual. And you're like, well, no one's ever proved that. No one's ever actually said the individual isn't the best person to decide how to do what's right for them. It's just taken as an assumption that we need government and then we can argue about what type of government we need. And I think expecting government to actually be the people to suggest that it may not be needed is never going to happen, which is why it's important for people like us to go out and to speak to others and say, look, it's great that you worry about, you know, which political party you pick from, but let's actually spend some time and wonder if we need to pick in the first place. Interesting. So even though you lead the Libertarian Party, you actually support the idea of not picking at all? So my ideal utopia would be a no-government system, um, but I think we're so far away from that that that's it's not something I would like I wouldn't like to wake up tomorrow and have no government because we've been conditioned for so many years so literally four or five hundred years to believe that government is the answer to all of our problems there are large portions of the population who cannot handle the responsibility of being able to make their own choices so I think we need to move slowly towards it and and that's why I'm a libertarian politician um but yeah my goal if i ever was in that position would be to be the last prime minister of the country because i would like to disband that and move towards a much local system much localized system where people had more input into the decisions that affect and when you're out canvassing sean and you're trying to explain this to people it's a new concept for, for many people i'm sure you're talking to what's the different kind of responses you get and what is the key questions that people ask ask you the kind of the key things they struggle with when i speak to people at the door and i explain you know the ideas of liberty that you know you don't need government to solve your problems you always the governments always make it worse they're, they're takers they're not givers they'll more likely take your rights and take your freedoms and take your money via taxation especially than they are to provide anything the, the i the ideas of uh, like socialism, for example, or socialist leaning ideas, is that it's it's a negative philosophy. I mean, I, I'm not a conservative, and and I give the conservatives a lot of slack. But at least, at least their philosophy is well. They used to believe it anyway, and I wouldn't call them conservatives anymore. Really, is that is that at least it gives an idea. That you know, entrepreneurism is that don't rely on the state. You know, you know, you can do it yourself. Whereas the other sort of big, all of the parliamentary parties now are more of a believe in big state sort of ideologies. They say that oh, don't take risks, let the state look after you, and that's why you're seeing throughout the last couple of decades at least that the state has grown bigger. The people, because they've been conditioned through education, state education, and culture itself. It, that's why the snowflake generation has sort of popped up because there's an idea of the state will always look after you so you don't need to think for yourself. But those ideas are starting to become more and more irrelevant because as technology improves, and especially with Bitcoin as well, even money is improving now in a sense, the ideas for having a bigger government 
is becoming irrelevant. And I think if you look at 100 years ago with taxation, 100 years ago, there were, there were, there were less than half the amount of taxes and regulations. And what it does is that the more taxes there are, the more regulations there are, it actually stumps society, it actually stunts progression of human ingenuity. And I think now it's put us back 50 years. We should be way more ahead in advancement, but government only stops progression. And I think that if you get rid of a lot of uh, taxation, a lot of regulations, and allow technology to blossom more, we won't really need government. I think that it's, it's inevitable that the government will have to be smaller to the point where perhaps we won't even need one one day because technology, we're doing things for ourselves. Like us now, we're on, we're on Zoom, you know, uh, speaking across, I think you're in Bedfordshire, aren't you, Peter? And, you know, Adam mm-hmm. is, in, yep. is, in, is in Suffolk, uh, not Suffolk. Um, where are you getting, Adam? I forget. Uh, West Sussex, yeah. And I'm in Kent, you know. We're able to do this by ourselves, relying on, this is this is via the private market as this conversation. This isn't because government came up with it. And I think, and once you explain this in the doorstep in a, in a bit more quicker way, people start to go, yeah, you're right. And often when I do explain to them, they go, yeah, Sean, you've got my vote. Because they've not heard it for the first time. They're so used to hearing conservative, Labour, Lib Dem, Green. We'll get government to do it. Government will solve our problem. It's like, no, it won't. It will make it worse. Guaranteed. That's like, as Ronald Reagan said, you know, the worst thing you can ever hear is someone coming along saying, hi, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. It's the worst thing you ever hear. It will be guaranteed to make it worse. Well, in some ways, I think this very strange situation we're in with the coronavirus has been a it's been a very good lens for observing the failings of government but also at the same time it's been a very good lens for observing the reliance that people have upon the state so we've had lockdowns but bailouts so i think if anything now is a time where the likes of yourselves probably have a very good opportunity to further the 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 ideas of libertarianism to people, to give people alternative view, uh, as I have seen right now with the rampant government money printing, that there is an opportunity to further the uh, the message about what Bitcoin offers. But I also see it flip the other way. I've also seen people in this process become even more reliant upon the state, even more supportive of the state's decisions. I've seen people very willing to support lockdowns, happy to download applications which track their every movement. And so I'm finding it right now as a real lens, and I, I can see it going both ways. I can see there's an opportunity to further the, the message of liberty, but I also see people sinking further into relying upon the state. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. As they say, never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, I think the role that the government has played during this crisis is to try and increase how dependable people are are on them. Um, I'm a great believer myself of the old adage of never blame a conspiracy when incompetence can uh, be the reason. Um, I don't believe they're actually doing it on purpose, but I think the effect of their view because they start on the viewpoint that everybody needs government, they are then naturally trying to encourage everyone to be more and more dependent on them. Um, so what we're finding is the way that they paint the message of stuff like, you know, you're going to lose your job, but don't worry, the furlough scheme is going to be there for you. You know, the, the small business loans, they're kind of like, look, your small business is going to shut down, um, but don't worry, we're going to loan you some money to get you through this. 
it's a government-enforced lockdown of the economy. The government have forced people out of business and now they're lending them money and they're giving them benefits to say, aren't we great? Look how much we're helping you. You know, I find the way that people are viewing the NHS at the moment is is all part of just trying to incorporate into you that the government is the most important part of your life. You know, there is massive amounts of great work being done by doctors and nurses. Doctors and nurses are not the NHS. The NHS is the administration. And the NHS has actually failed to protect people. We wouldn't be locked down if the NHS could do its job. So, in fact, the doctors and nurses are doing a wonderful job despite the NHS, not because of it. And at the last election, we put forward a healthcare plan based on a more European model, um, based on the Swiss and Dutch models, as well as the German model, which is they're localised and they're able to respond in much better ways um, to a crisis in a local area without having a one-size-fits-all. So one of the issues that we have at the moment with the lockdown is people in rural parts of the southwest are being treated the same as people in the heart of London. Now, clearly, a different approach is needed for both of those areas, but we can't have that because we have a single monolithic health service. Um, But the government's policy isn't to try and increase people's awareness of what they can do or how they can help. It's to try and make everybody dependent on the NHS, which is a government body, for being basically the heroes of the hour when in fact they've actually the administration has let everyone down no one more so than doctors and nurses that we're pretending to support so i think you know until we get away from this conversation where we're saying the government is the answer or the things the government are doing are actually the cure when they're not they're the cause um it, we're only ever going to get into a state where people are more and more reliant on the nhs and it's on so in the government and that's why it's important for us to to put forward the other point as often as possible to make sure people do actually think, hang on a minute, we wouldn't be in this situation if it wasn't for government inefficiencies. Yeah, so that's an interesting point you raise because it often comes up that never let a good crisis go to waste. And I certainly think there are uh, leaders who abuse situations. They want to control. They want to increase control. I think Erdogan in Turkey is a great example. I think what we're seeing in Hungary is a great example. I do, though, sometimes think I don't know if it's always that way. So I don't know if... Boris Johnson has sat there at a Cobra meter rubbing his hands thinking, right, now I've got a chance to 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 put new rules in place and create tighter control on the people. Sometimes I wonder if it's just they are almost acting autonomously, just thinking, right, I need to solve this problem. Right, this is how I solve the problem. I solve it with rules. And it's almost like sometimes a natural occurrence for how humans think problems should be solved, how they actually think the government should be solving this situation rather than some kind of sinister plan. Can you empathise with that a few? So I think that's exactly it. Um, as I said before, it's it's not about malicious intent necessarily. They come from the basis that rules are needed to solve problems. So therefore, a bigger problem needs bigger rules. I think one of the best um, examples that showed this to me when I was first starting my political career you know, about 20 years ago, they, they made a rule, they made a law to limit the amount of um, fixed odds betting machines available in casinos, in uh, book, bookmakers. Mm-hmm. So this made sense. They said, this is a problem because people are betting on them, so we need to limit how many you can have in a store. So also limit the amount you can win from them. So the bookmakers went, okay then, so what we'll do is we'll have 10 in each store. And they went, well, this is no good because now they've got 10 in each store. So now we need a law to limit how many stores there are, um, how many machines there are in each store. So they made that limit. So bookmakers went, that's fine. I'm going to open three stores next to each other. And they went, well, this is no good. Our 
high street is full of bookmakers. We need to limit how close bookmakers can be to each other to try and prevent this from happening. So bookmakers started opening up all over town. So they said, well, this is no good. We've got bookmakers next to schools. We need to stop bookmakers from being opened up near schools. And so bookmakers went fine, we'll close down. And then well, this is no good, our high streets are empty. At no point did they realise that each one of these issues was caused by the earlier legislation. And in fact, if you want to solve it, get rid of the first bit of legislation. It was just law on law upon law upon law, constantly finding a new problem. Um, I think someone once said, if it wasn't for unexpected consequences, government would have no consequences whatsoever. And that's true. Every law they bring out has a, an effect they don't see coming. And then they bring out a law to try and replace it. It's like trying to chase, they're trying to chase the problem and um, constantly never understanding why it doesn't work. It doesn't work because their only ever solution is for more laws. That's a great answer. Okay. I want to talk, go back to a previous point you were talking about. Let's talk about the NHS because... It is an institution that's very hard to criticise in this country. Oh, yeah. Do not criticise the NHS. And I haven't even approached that yet. And so I, I've tried to talk about some tough subjects with friends recently. During the elections, I was very, very critical of the Labour Party. By the way, I didn't actually vote in the end, but I was very critical of um, a number of Corbyn's very socialist policies. And I tried to explain to people the, the cost of these policies, but I, I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could vote for the, the Conservatives either. I didn't actually, I just didn't vote. The NHS is a subject that I have yet to approach with some of my friends. I, I, they already think I'm a lunatic on Facebook, they think I'm the crazy one. Welcome to the club. Yeah, well, it, it, but because these are difficult concepts to get across to people because people, I think, are so conditioned to to left and right and the government is the safety net for all, all our problems rather than teaching personal responsibility. Now, I'm not completely removed from the idea of some form of social safety net. I'm not removed from the idea, for example, of making properties wheelchair accessible. There are certain things I haven't got fully away from yet, and, and maybe I will at some point. But let's talk about the NHS. So let's talk about the problems with socialised healthcare to begin with. And then I'd like you to expand on the ideas that you had with regards to the uh, your proposals in your last manifesto that you talked about. But let's talk about socialised healthcare at the moment. Okay. So, yeah, our biggest concern with the NHS, in fact, our biggest concern with most of the most important things in um, the country is that it's full of politics. The NHS currently isn't actually a healthcare system, it's a political football. Yep. So, you know, the, the they call it, as I said, it was um, Schrodinger's NHS that is both the envy of the world and always um, on its last legs at the same time, and we're never sure which. We believe in this country that the NHS is great because the politicians make us think that the NHS is great. But in fact, the NHS is trying to do an impossible task. It's trying to create a one-size-fits-all healthcare service for 60 million people spread across from one of the biggest cities in Europe through to rural countryside. That's not an efficient system for anything. You look at any company that has so many things happening to it, it starts to go wrong and they have to break down and focus on the kind of key elements. And that's what we were suggesting um, in our manifesto. So our manifesto is based on a a market-led but regional system. So the key thing for me is to get the politics out of it and to make it regional so that people can actually see what's happening in their region. At the moment, we have bodies like NICE who decide who gets the treatment. They're basically un unaccountable to the people. People can't see what is there, and they're making a decision based on the entire country where, in fact, in one region, 
they may need care for a particular um, condition which isn't needed in another region. So until we get to a point where we can make those decisions at a local level and the people making them are answerable to the local people, um, I don't think we'll get to a situation where we can actually have the flexibility we need in a healthcare system. So we weren't suggesting anybody should have no access to healthcare. We don't want to go down the what people think of as the American model, even though the American model doesn't actually work as people think. Um, but again, like the left and right politics, people seem to think in this country there is a choice between the NHS or the American system. I actually think both of them are the extremes. And as of the extremes, neither of them are the right one. And in fact, what we should be doing as adults is having an intelligent debate and saying, right, this is what works for us. Um, and that will probably be somewhere in between, which is what most of Europe has. They have a hybrid kind of private system, but with public support to make sure that there is always that safety net. You know, I don't want a world where if you break your leg, you're just left in the street. And I don't think anybody really does. So I don't think that is a system that we would have because people are still compassionate. We're kind of we're herd creatures as a uh, as a base kind of thing. So I think we would always look out for those less fortunate than ourselves. The question is whether we should be doing it through a centrally funded system where the money is taken and you have no control over how it's spent or if it should be regional and you have input into how you're actually protected. And with health insurance, the reason we like a health insurance system isn't because we're crazy free market capitalists and everything has to be done but with health insurance you get choice which means as an adult you can decide what the right level of care is for you and if you want basic level of care and you don't want to have any of the extras that's your choice and at the end of the day you're an adult so you should be allowed to make that choice other people would pick a much more i think most people would probably pick a level of care that would cover them in the same way as they're covered now and again that should be their choice you should be have the choice to have less care when you're younger more care when you're older but at the moment, we don't have any choice. And that means that we're getting a system that really doesn't work for people when they need it. You know, um, during this COVID-19 outbreak, they said they put out a message saying you should use the NHS in the same way as you normally would. And I have. So I believed I had COVID-19 um, back in March. I contacted the NHS and they said they wouldn't help me, which is the exact same way that I've always used the NHS. I've waited until I really needed it. And then I've been turned down for treatment because I'm not the right person at the right time so but therefore you do believe in some form of socialized healthcare. i believe in a social security net for health service um at the moment i believe we need socialized healthcare because we've had an all-encompassing socialized healthcare, and we cannot go from that to a private model or to no healthcare because people aren't People aren't willing to take the responsibility for their own lives at the moment. People need to be taught that. In the same way as you wouldn't take a kid and immediately make them get them to make their decisions, you need to learn how to make decisions for your own self. Um, the government have acted like an overprotective parent for far too long to just give people no care whatsoever. But going forward, I believe that, yeah, there would always be a safety net. I would always be willing to contribute towards a safety net that helped other people who were less fortunate than myself. But the idea is I should be free to contribute to that. It should be a free decision. You know, I don't believe we should get rid of it. I believe it should be voluntary. But do you, do you not fear that a voluntary system for contribution to socialised healthcare may end up leading to an underfunded socialised healthcare? As opposed to our current healthcare system, which everyone says is fully funded, because I hear that our system is always underfunded itself. So, you know, I'm not saying I don't believe that would necessarily be a different situation to what people are claiming now. 
But I do believe a voluntary service would need to balance its budget based on who it was serving. So it would obviously, Mm -hmm. the prices would reflect how much money it needed. In terms of the social care aspect of it, I believe that people are generally good. That my, my whole philosophy, the reason I got to libertarianism is because I believe that people are good people and will make the right decisions. And um, people are also incredibly generous. People um, donate billions and billions of pounds to charities already, despite the fact we have one of the highest tax rates in the world. If people were paying less tax, I don't see that they would then donate less money um, in order to help those less fortunate. Um, I also think that people are pragmatist and as myself, I grew up in quite a poor area. Um, I know full well that I could be back there at any point. It's in my best interest to make sure that there is a safety net and I would be willing to contribute towards that. And I think the majority of people would be the same. I don't think I'm extra special or extra generous. I'm just a normal person and most people would do the same decisions. I think that goes back to my point of like, I've always imagined how we wean ourselves off government and we wean ourselves off certain socialised aspects of, of the system. I also also I believe that like, it is within our interest to investigate which areas of the health service should be privatised. Uh, we always see that if there's any kind of questions around or ideas that parts of the health service would be privatised, that is, it's immediately hit with this is the government selling off the health service to the US and everyone is fearful of it. But you know, my mother worked in the health service. She was a nurse for 20, 20 years and she would often complain about the gatekeepers and the bureaucrats who did little to nothing in there which you or I know in a free market in a, in a private business these people would not be able to survive in, in their positions so I, I do believe that the, the free market for certain aspects of the health service would be better privatised I don't know which part so like I wouldn't be foolish enough to say oh, well I, I have a full plan for the NHS uh, I, I think certainly you could go through significant parts of, uh, of the NHS with a fine tooth comb and say, okay, this bit would probably be better privatised. Again, the answer is I don't know, but I, I'm assuming you have similarish thoughts. Adam's right about especially two things. One, the NHS has indeed become a political football. I mean, we both stood in the last general election just gone, and... I'm sure Adam will probably say the same as well, is that the candidates I stood against, you know, Green, Lib Dem, Labour, Conservative, all they were saying was the exact same thing about the NHS. And in, in fact, they were trying to outbid each other by saying, oh, we'll give a billion pounds, a billion extra pounds to the NHS. And the other one would say, oh, two billion, no, three billion, no, four. And when it got to me, how much money would you give it? Zero. Because the problem with the NHS is that you can't throw money at it to solve the problems. The problem is the bureaucracy. It's not the nurses or the frontline doctors or anything like that. It's actually the bureaucracy. I mean, even right now during a pandemic, they're still recruiting for diversity officers. And I've had personal experience with these uh, job titles. I've, I've been a firefighter and, and I work for Royal Mail as well. And all these people do, diversity officers, is that they go and try and find problems where there are no problems. So the example I give is, is that in the fire service, uh, we have lay flat holes. And what that means is that when we bowl it out, say there's a house fire, we need to extend lines. We simply uh, extend the line by coupling the, putting the male adapter into the female adapter. Well, guess what? After hundreds and hundreds of years of firefighting, there's now a massive problem with calling male and female couplings. They want to call it A and B or something. There's never been a problem with it. So they've gone out of their way to do it. And the NHS, via our taxpayer money, is funding for these busy job titles. 
the, the second point is what Adam says is is that it's choice. And I am I wouldn't call myself an ANCAP and I wouldn't call myself a minicist. I would call myself a voluntarist. Yeah, that's that's probably what I would say because I think it all comes down to choice. You don't have to decide what needs to be privatized and what doesn't need to be privatized. What you need to do is is to make taxation choice that you can have your NHS if you want, but there should be an opt-out clause for people who decide that, you know what, I don't think the NHS is a good service or, you know, or, or you know what, Gov, I can take care of myself by using, by having private healthcare, by having a private insurance system. And the reason why I say this is, is because the NHS, despite if it gives a good service or a bad service, it's always guaranteed to get money because it's done via taxation. And taxation, of course, is taken to you, taken from you by force. You don't, you don't have a choice in it whatsoever. And that's why the free market and, and charities, private companies and charities, are always vastly superior to a state service is because they have an incentive to improve because if they give you a bad service or sell you a bad product, you as a consumer, which is actually more powerful than a vote in my opinion, you will then take your money, your business to a competitor. The NHS doesn't have that because at the end of the day, they'll always get your money. If it became about choice and they said, uh, you know, okay, you can have your, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I don't want to get rid of the state, you know, personally, I want to make it, but that would be an absolute choice. I'm not about absolutes. If you want to keep your state, then can't continue being a member of the state. For people who say, no, I don't want to fund that, I don't know, that bus service or that or that healthcare system, they should be able to opt out because then the NHS would realise that, oh, wait, if we don't do a good job and actually get that PPE to those staff when they actually need to, we might not get paid. And I'll tell you what will happen, all of the, it will start tripping the fat of, you know, do we need these diversity officers? Do we need these managers? Do we need these, you know, these other useless titles that are getting paid way more than frontline nurses and paramedics? They'll then they'll be streamlined and be more efficient, more cheaper. And people will then go, oh, you know what? Yeah, okay, I will be a member of the NHS now. But, I mean, I've had personal experiences that I used to go out with. She was constantly told by NHS staff that there was nothing wrong with her, nothing wrong with her. It's at a point where they even tried to say that she had a mental issue and it's all in her head. And then as soon as she went private, guess what? Diagnosed on the first day of the problem. You won't get that at the NHS because they're always guaranteed to get the money. And that's what I think personally. Next up, I talked to Sean and Adam more about libertarianism and politics. But before that, I do have a message from my amazing sponsors. And don't skip this. Give them a chance. It's the sponsors that enable me to do this. So firstly, have you checked out sportsbet.io yet? They are one of my new sponsors. They've been with me for about a month now. They are one of the best places for online gaming. And the cool thing about these guys is they accept Bitcoin, which is pretty cool. I was up last late last night playing poker, playing poker for Bitcoin. Now, I also cannot wait for the season to get going again. I, we've seen it across Europe. Some of the leagues are getting going again. Hopefully, the UK league will start getting going again. I want to be out there. I want to be betting on my mighty Liverpool. I want to be betting on Tottenham losing each week. Now, with sports currently on a break due to coronavirus, there has been a huge growth in esports. And sportsbet.io now supports 11 markets, including eFIFA, eNBA, and eNHL. Not only this, 
but they also have a Bitcoin casino and my personal favorite, the poker rooms. Now, if you want to find out more, you want to check this out. If you want to go and have a little bit of a flutter with your Bitcoin, head over to sportsbet.io, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O. Also, let's talk about my newest sponsor, Least Authority. Now, this is for you techies out there, the builders creating the applications. Least Authority is a security consulting company who are pushing the limits on how to build privacy respecting solutions. They specialize in security audits, design specification reviews, and security by design, while also making regular contributions to the open source and decentralized space. They can help improve the security of your wallet application, key management solution, layer to protocol, P2P network design, use of cryptography, and so much more. Do you want to get a boost to your security strategy? Well, you can arrange a no-obligation call. Listen to that. It's a no-obligation call. What do you got to lose? You can do this. You can get a no-obligation call to find out how Least Authority can help your next project. Just head over to their website and hit the schedule a call button. It is leastauthority.com, which is L-E-A-S-T-A-U-T-H-O-R-I-T-Y.com. And lastly, but no means least this week, is crypto mining tools. And with the halving just a few days away, I'm welcoming Scott Offord back to the show. Now, you know the Bitcoin halving has a massive impact on mining profitability, and Scott from Crypto Mining Tools has a solution for Bitcoin mining equipment owners looking to get a little bit more out of the life of their miners. I told you before about Scott's Bitcoin mining calculator, while Scott has recently launched a Bitcoin miner hosting directory. If you need to move your miners to a more cost-effective location due to the halving, go to CryptoMining.Tools to research hosting options available in your country and around the world. Scott is looking to add more hosting and co-location providers to his hosting directory. So if you own a mining farm, have extra space that you want to get filled, reach out to Scott's hosting partnership development guy, that is Shannon Squires. Shannon is on Telegram. Just reach out at Squires, which is at S-Q-U-I-R-E-S, or just use the contact form at CryptoMining.Tools. Another interesting area I'd like to explore with you is that if you'd have asked me five years ago, in my opinion, on guns and, and weapons and, and uh, ownership of guns, I would be very, very anti, anti-guns. And I've got into some arguments with some uh, certainly Americans about about this, because most of my audience is, is based in America. And then I went out to the States and I shot my first gun, which was an interesting experience. And then I went up to Wyoming, spent some time with what you would call a Republican libertarian, and who explains to me the role of guns in his life for hunting, etc., and I've got to this place where I'm really kind of confused with the whole subject because, firstly, we don't really have First Amendment protection in our country, which I think is a shame, and we certainly don't have Second Amendment protection. But I have found certain certain arguments very interesting that somebody should be able to defend their home um, if someone is to access it. And also, I find the militias that you get in the US quite interesting. Now, I'm not a huge fan of these militias during the lockdown who've uh, descended upon state buildings uh, with their AR-15s, I think they are, and and stood there trying to argue for the reopening of the economy. I understand their argument. I just, I just, I find find that a little bit intimidating. But at the same time, I can't remember the case, but there was one where a militia was trying to protect uh, the farmland of a guy. I think it was in Nevada, and I, I find that side of the U.S. this this Second Amendment rights and protection against uh, tyranny kind of interesting but I can never firmly position myself saying yes I want that or I don't want it I'm, I'm kind of lost with that that side of things 
Where do you guys fit? Because we're in the UK, right? We're in the UK, and very few people own a gun. Most of them have it in a locked cabinet, and it's because they're, they're some either a farmer or they're hunting. We certainly don't have people who walk around the streets holding guns that you might do in some US states. Now, I'll start with you, Sean. What, what do you feel about this? We, we don't, yeah, you're right. We don't have a culture of loving guns, the wrong word to you, liking guns or using guns. That was taken away from us about. Uh, about 100 years ago because there was a, the Russian Revolution, obviously it caused a revolution and obviously ended up their royalty being killed. Um, the reason why sort of gun laws were introduced was because the British government at the time, they were fearful that that was going to happen here. But if you look at every single state which given which give roles to a dictator, they were all from states which guess what, had gun control laws. Because what it does is it takes away, uh, the whole point of having, like in America, people having guns, is because if there ever was to rise a fascistic sort of uh, dictatorship of some sort, the idea is, is that every single individual would have a weapon and, you know, would have a, would have a defense against, you know, a, a fascistic sort of state. And that's why there's militias in America. With here... Gun laws only work against law-abiding citizens. The reason why criminals are criminals is because they don't respect the law. So when these gun laws passed, what it did was it essentially disarmed the law-abiding, sensible people who would have never, you know, used a gun in a in a criminal fashion, and it and it made us defenseless against the criminals because criminals don't respect laws, and of course they're going to have guns therefore. And they're going to rob us. And that's why you see, like, especially gun crime in, in central London, it is skyrocketed because, you know, it, it doesn't, gun laws don't work. They only work on law abiding people. So, I, you know, me personally, yes, I, I have a little bit of a military background, wasn't a territorial one, but I, I think personally that, yeah, I am pro gun and I think that it's a, it's a fundamental inalienable right that people should be able to defend themselves. And that's why I say when people go to me, oh, are you pro gun? I always say, yes, I'm pro self-defense. So even here in this country, simple pepper spray is classed as a firearm. Now, I think personally women should be able to go around the streets carrying pepper spray and self-defense. Is that crazy? I don't think so. I think the other thing is, though, that I look at a country like um, New Zealand or Australia, and they've changed their laws when they had more liberal gun laws. They've changed them on uh, usually as a reaction to some mass shooting. I think um, the one we had in Christchurch recently saw a reaction, and we the one in Australia, I can't remember where it was, and then they certainly saw like an aggregate fall in the number of gun deaths. But at the same time, that it, there is an argument that, well, it, it reduces your your freedom. But what about you, Adam? Where do you sit with this? And do you understand where my co conflict is? Yes, I think I probably come from pretty much the same kind of place that you do. Um, so my view on gun control or gun ownership, I suppose, more than the control part, is I don't think it's for me. So I wouldn't, if, if we had no gun control tomorrow... I would not go and buy a gun because I've not been brought up around guns. It's not been part of my life. It's not something I see as being important. The beautiful thing for me about libertarianism is just because that's my view doesn't mean that has to affect how I view other people. If other people want to have guns, I don't believe I have the right to tell them not to. Um, I don't think it's my job to put my views 
has the right views. I think they're my views. I hold them myself. If someone else wants to hold guns, if they want to have a room where they just go and look at their guns, then that's fine if that's what they're into. People are into all different stuff and it's not for me to say what's right or wrong. Um, where I do agree with Sean is that I'm definitely pro-self-defence. I think in this country we have taken away the ability to defend ourselves. Um, and again, we're relying on the police to defend us for us, but um, as another saying that I've heard down around Facebook goes, you know, when seconds count, the police are only half an hour away. Um, the ability to call the police to help you in a life or death situation isn't going to save your life. Having my personal preference would be for a non-lethal kind of pepper spray or something like that. That can save your life. And the fact that we've taken away that ability, um, and it kind of goes to this thing that we do in this country where we will punish the group because of the actions of the individual. Um, but we don't ever see the individuals having the rights for themselves. So because some people may use pepper spray wrongly, we will ban pepper spray from everybody. And as Sean says, what that does is means everyone who would use it in the correct way loses it. The people who would use it in the wrong way continue to use it. So it doesn't actually um, stop the problem. It just punishes everyone else. And it means now our criminals are the only people who actually have weapons to use. Um, and I think it, it kind of goes back to how we're using everything these days you, you mentioned the first amendment and um, free speech the the one thing i never thought we would give up in this country is free speech um i remember when we had the um the danish muhammad um, cartoon um for all i was speaking to a muslim friend of mine and he said this is serious because they've basically taken the most sacred thing to um islam and they've drawn a cartoon of um, the prophet which is not allowed and I was like, yeah, I think this is going to be a real issue because in the West, our biggest and our most prized asset is our freedom. So something that impinges on freedom of speech will never be, um, will never go against freedom of speech. That is what we care about the most. Um, I now find ourselves here, was 15, 12, 15 years later, we've given up on free speech entirely. Um, so it turns out I was completely wrong. Um, I think, I don't know the exact numbers, but you know, several thousand people are cautioned or um, spoken to by the police every um, month or every year about things they write on social media. We've got into a situation now where saying the wrong thing can make you lose your job, make you lose your entire kind of freedom. It used to be a case where we would just argue with people and say, we think you're wrong. And now we have to, you know, close them down and um, no platform them and everything else. Um, and it's all part of the same thing. We are being taken away our ability to protest. Um, and whether it's our ability to say, we don't believe this is right, or whether it's our ability to say, you know, I want to have a gun. It's all part of the same thing. It seems like anything that takes us away from the ability to being controlled is being suppressed. Um, and again, I don't think it's necessarily being done through force. It's done by the fact that some people use things badly and therefore a law is brought out to punish everybody. Um, but the end result is that the law-abiding people are having less and less ability to kind of say, actually, I don't agree with this. And the people who are doing the criminal acts are continuing to carry weapons and say what they like in the first place. Do you feel like in the UK we are sliding down a slippery slope to authoritarianism i would always say oh it would never happen here in the uk but i feel like there is enough bad signals out there for us um we, we may not end up at a state i mean i don't see us ending up like turkey like i don't see we ended up with a dictator but i certainly see us losing many of our freedoms and liberties in this country and i personally find it quite concerning but 
even more concerning is the fact that so many people seem to fail to recognize that this is happening and actually buy into hate hate laws uh, hate speech laws or buy into mass surveillance in london because they believe that they're being afforded the protection by the state yes yeah, so i think what people don't seem to realize in this country is any any power you give the person in charge who agrees with you can be used just as easily by the person in charge who doesn't so we're slipping into this authoritarian state because the people are doing stuff that is popular with the majority. So things like hate speech laws, I understand them entirely because at the end of the day, you don't want to hear hate speech. You know, I would prefer to live in a world where there weren't racist people, there weren't like horrible people who were saying horrible things to people all the time. But we don't live in that world. So the choice isn't between having racists and not having racists. It's between having racists and being able to identify them or having racists hidden. And I think that's where we're kind of missing the point, is that we're restricting people's ability to speech on something that everyone's like, yeah, we all agree that that is bad. Well, most of us agree that is bad, so let's restrict it. But then that law sits there, and then next week that can be used by somebody else to restrict people criticising healthcare, for example, or the government directly, or um, politicians. You know, We could quite easily say now, because we've got these laws, that to say anything negative is wrong, in which case what role does the press have in holding people to account? We would lose the ability to kind of criticise anybody at all. And I think, as we've said a couple of times, it's not even like it's happening through a diabolical plan. It's not like an Erdogan coming to power and suppressing all of his opponents. It's just little by little, we're willing to just say, actually, I agree with this, so therefore I won't stand up and say that it's wrong. And yeah, my personal view is, you know, but the old thing, I don't agree with what you have to say, but I will give my life for you to have the right to say it. And we have lost that. We've now got into a bit of, I agree with you, therefore that's all right. Um, and what we should be saying is, even though I agree with this, the amount of freedom we're giving up is too much. The real lens for me for observing how how dangerous this is, I'm actually being sued in the High Court right now by a man called Craig Wright for calling him a fraud. Um, he's a man who claims to be the inventor of Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto. I don't believe he is. Many people don't believe he is. The cost of the defence is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds. So the cost of defending speech in, through litigation is beyond the reach of most people. Thankfully, I've got somebody helping me fund my case because they support what I'm saying. But without that uh, protection, I would not be able to defend myself. And therefore, uh, I would either have to represent myself and do a, a bore job, bankrupt, bankrupt myself or admit defeat. So what it actually made me realise is that by having controls over speech, you are giving more power to, to the wealthy and the elite to control uh, criticism of them and can control what may be fair and open criticism, open criticism of them. And actually also, therefore, restricting the freedom of the press. And that's the thing that I find the saddest, actually, because free speech, is, I think, is a great leveller restricting speech is is a great it, it, it is creates inequality in in what you can actually stand up for and that really concerns me um okay listen i can't do this show and not ask you guys about bitcoin and one of the reasons things i find quite interesting is like i came to libertarianism through bitcoin but i've spoken to lots of libertarians outside of the bitcoin world and it doesn't seem to have fully caught on 
it doesn't seem to that this kind of separation of money and state this this f- form of money which is uh ca- cannot be inflated by the government that cannot be controlled by central bankers it still hasn't been widely adopted within libertarian communities so it would be great for me to know what your understanding of bitcoin is how what you guys think about it because I, I actually don't know uh, yeah so uh the Lib- libertarian party it's actually really to my knowledge anyway we're the only party which has uh, well firstly we take you know donations via bitcoin via our website uh, i think we're the only party to do that and we also join our manifesto our recent 2019 manifesto we gave a choice to all of our members and we said you know where should we how should we base our money on because this this fiat currency that we have now it's funny money it is nothing it is it is not freedom because the government give the bank of england this like this power of just printing more money and just essentially stealing our savings our money via inflation it's not right so we gave the option of should we do it by gold should we you know bring back the gold standards should we should we uh, do it by bitcoin so we actually gave an option for bitcoin it didn't win this time around on our manifesto. The, the, the result was gold, which is fair enough. But it is it, the idea of Bitcoin is growing and growing. And even people in our in our party, they they don't. I mean, I'm, I'm relatively new to Bitcoin. I'm relatively new to cryptocurrencies. Really, it is quite hard to get around because again, we're breaking the conditioning, you know, of what we've been taught via education systems, via cultural institutions, via you know everything through the state services. That you know, oh, only money. Only fiat currency is is the only proper one, and it's not. I whenever I go to a store or a pub or whatever, and I hand over a ten pound note, let's say, I know that this is nothing. There is no difference to this from monopoly money. It, at least with with Bitcoin and gold and, and and other sort of other currencies, at least it can't be like you said. It can't be printed by by government. And it can't be, you know, uh, constantly devalued because every time it's devalued, and this is what I'm worried about with lockdown as well. They're borrowing more money. When they borrow more money, it means printing more money. And when they print more money, it devalues the money. And this is exactly what happened in Germany. You know, after the First World War, they had hyperinflation. I think this is going to accelerate it more into that. This is why we sort of believe in Bitcoin because we encourage not you. We encourage competitions of all currencies. So, you know, that's what we want. That's in our manifesto. We say, that, you know, we want anything between two parties. If you recognize this as a valuable currency that, you know, has value, then fine, use it. That's what we're about. We want to take away the ability from the banks to uh, just continue printing and, and just constantly devaluing the currency because this is what's happening. The more, the more we borrow money, the more that our children's children are going to be heavily in debt before they're even born, and they're just going to be paying off this sort of debt for the rest of their lives. People think that, oh, young people now have, have it bad by not being able to buy property. What do you think it's going to be like in the future? It's going to be even worse. And with that sort of mentality, they're going to run even more to these parties that promised them the world and say that, oh, we're going to give you free stuff. Well, you know what? Nothing is free in reality. It, it, you're going to pay for that in some way, whether it's be, whether it's your civil liberties being taken or your entire property or whatever it is. You, you're going to lose something because government only takes; it never gives. Yeah, I'm worried a lot about. So my son's 16, 
So he's got two years of schooling left before he enters the uh, enters the, the the field of work, whichever field he chooses. And my worry is that we are potentially or almost certainly creating uh, another lost generation whereby the next potentially, I don't know, five, ten years is we're having to try and repay back. So we have to pay back these these loans. And we've seen what happened with austerity. And we've seen the impact. And I, I, I do worry about this quite a bit. What about you, Adam? How much how much time have you spent looking at Bitcoin? Is it something you've taken much of an interest in? Um, so like most people, I probably have to admit that it's something that I've always been interested in, but I'm a bit too lazy to spend a lot of time finding out about, which probably has no, a great show, interested. by the way. Sorry? I know this great show that you can listen to that, that would be a good introduction. <laughs> I agree, it's, probably, it's good. But I think in terms of adoption widely, it's probably the same kind of situation we have um, in the Libertarian Party in the fact that because it's coming from such an unknown and it is a complete reversal of the system, you know, it's always been a case of government equals money. So the government controls the money, the government decides on monetary policy. Um, and that's just what we're taught. It's what everybody accepts as the fact. Um, I don't think anyone ever even considers, you know, for the majority of people, the idea of like a gold standard currency is long gone in the past as well. So people don't even understand how it would work. And when it first started, I was talking to a lot of people and they were saying about, you know, the problem is no one backs it up. There's no one to protect it like currency. Currency is protected by government and no one protects Bitcoin. So you can't be sure of what it's worth. I think now we're seeing, you know, the the main thing, you can't take politics out of politics. So anything that has a political influence is always going to be subject to kind of popularism of the local politicians. Um, if COVID-19 is going to teach us anything, it's the fact that there is no politician out there anymore who doesn't believe in the magic money tree. Um, and the magic money tree only comes by you know, devaluing currency. So having a currency that can't be devalued is massively important in order for people to actually be able to understand what they have and what it's worth. You know, I have money in saved in cash. Um, I, I'm now earning 0.001% interest on that every single um, year. So, you know, I'd be lucky if I earn a pound interest in the next uh, like the rest of this year or whatever. Um, well, well, we should throw something into that as well. You may be earning a pound interest over the next year, but actually your purchasing power is almost certainly falling well, uh, uh, with inflation. So and we're going to have incentive to inflation because of the amount of yeah. money pumped into the system. But potentially, actually, I've spoken to some economists, and they're not sure if this will be a hyperflationary event. It's not sure, but certainly we 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 see inflation every year as a government government target. So if your interest is lower than the rate of inflation, and you're not investing that money, your wealth is being eroded. It is a it is a hidden tax. Yeah, absolutely. Um, unfortunately, I took lots of my money and invested it in stock market instead to try and avoid that, and that's gone down even further over the last couple of months. So. Uh, <laughs> You know, um, luckily, being a libertarian, I also have a, um, a large, I have a small supply of physical gold and uh, silver as well. So, you know, I should hopefully be all right. Um, but it's it's a concern in the fact that everything that we try and do to protect our wealth can be undone by a politician in a second. Um, just to talk about the inflationary effects, obviously, my, my degrees in economics as well. Um, the only reason we're not going to have an inflationary effect, ironically, is because the recession that it's going to cause is going to be so bad that the recessionary effect and the inflationary effect will possibly cancel each other out or we won't know which one will have the biggest effect um it's only because we're in such an unprecedented time there's never been a government shutdown of the global economy 
ever. So we don't really know what effect it's going to have. But if we don't have inflation, it's only because everything is so bad that it's so bad to stop the inflation. So I'm not sure if that's going to go in the win column or not. But, you know, so like I say, on Bitcoin itself, I don't have any Bitcoin, um, but it's literally a case of the fact that it's, it has always been so confusing to me. I've always assumed that I've missed the boat. And then I'm like, oh, I've missed the boat. Look how much it's worth now. It's obviously too late to get onto it. And then you see it spike up again. And you're like, well, now I've definitely missed the boat this time. Um, but, you know, our, our treasurer at the party is a massive Bitcoin fan um, and has always pointed out how stupid I am. So I know it's my fault. Um, but it, it's, it's just something that I feel like I've probably missed myself, but I need to put some time into it. Well, you maybe missed the boat in certain cycles of Bitcoin in term, and if you only purely look at it in terms of an investment. But I look at it as a couple of things. I look at it now not just as an investment, but I look at it as a hedge against government incompetence and a hedge against potential hyperinflationary events or even government seizure. For me, it is a hedge, um, but it's also a very long-term game I play. I, I don't think I'll ever sell any for like at least 10 years. But I actually think that there is a, a, a more important point potentially for you guys in that there is this potential to separate. Similar how when I've been reading about the US Constitution recently, I think it was Jefferson who talked about uh, uh, the separation of church and state, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I actually think the separation of money and state is a very, very important part of holding government responsible and even if you can't separate money estate at least having a form of money where they they cannot just print their way out of uh, incompetence so for me I, I always wonder why something like bitcoin doesn't become a key pillar of uh, of, of say a manifesto why i mean per, you know perhaps it will in the future but i would have thought it would be a very interesting thing to see as part of a manifesto i am also disappointed you don't have any bitcoin so what i'm going to say is get a wallet go and download a wallet send me your address and i will send you your first hundred pound of bitcoin i i will be very proud to have converted you into a bitcoiner so <laughs> please go please go and do that please email me your recipient address sean teach him how to do it get him yeah, a wallet i will i'll, I'll try that. But yeah, so listen, I, uh, th that's where I am with it, and I, I hope it becomes something you you look at it more. And and I will say, look, um, I appreciate you both coming on the show as well, just to talk about these subjects because I actually this has kind of been refreshing to me because uh, some of the ANCAPs won't like this because it's just no government. But but I actually believe there is a role for a more kind of uh, practical libertarianism, um, one which which ha helps kind of push people towards a goal of less state, smaller state. And I think that's a really important part of libertarianism. I know not everyone agrees, but but personally I do. So um, I appreciate you coming on the show and discussing it. If people want to find out more about the party and follow you guys, um, just start with you, Sean. Where, where can they find you? Um, we have two websites at the moment. We have um, the, the newest one is um, libertarianparty.co.uk. But the the donation one, the big to, to see our you know Bitcoin um, sort of and store is uh, libertarianpartyuk.com. So it's that, and it's also we will be running candidates uh, next year in a 2021 local elections. Also, the mayor of London elections and the assembly members have been pushed back a year, and I'm hoping to stand as a London assembly member. Going to start possibly a GoFundMe, but if anyone can contribute to that, that'd be fantastic. Even Bitcoin, if possible. But also, we've got a conference coming up. We have uh, Dominic Frisby. I don't know if you know who that is, but he wrote a book. Yep. He's a comedian, but he wrote also wrote. He's a money uh, pundit as well. 
and he wrote a book called uh, Bitcoin, The Future of Money. So we're hoping to get him to speak a bit more about not perhaps not just Bitcoin, but you know at least cryptocurrencies as well, including Bitcoin. He's, he's a big Bitcoin guy, and that'll be in Wales in October. So hopefully, uh, it's to push. You know, and you're right. We the reason why parties do not talk about Bitcoin is simply because they don't really understand economics. Like all of the parties in, in Parliament at the moment, all they focus on is civil liberties, if they even really do believe in that themselves. Freedom is made up of two things. It's made up of civil liberties and economic liberty. We do both. Parties only do one. They're, all of the other parties, in, including the ones that are not in Parliament, they are what I call half freedom parties. You need economic liberty. And I believe that Bitcoin is that is that pathway to economic liberty because it has a limit. It can't be printed uh, and it give, it does give people uh, uh, just freedom, more, more freedom in general. Well, perhaps I can become the libertarian candidate for Bedford at, at, at some point. Please, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and, and you, Adam, if people want to follow you, where do they find you? So, yeah, to, to follow me personally, obviously um, I'm on Twitter and uh, Adam G. Brown, at Adam G. Brown. But, yeah, go on to our website. Libertarian.co.uk is actually our late, latest news, so it's the more accessible one. Um, the other website is more of our membership system. But, obviously, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're everywhere that you uh, want to be. So just look for the Libertarian Party and you'll find us. All right, well, I wish you all the best. Really enjoyed this. And, yeah, stay in touch and perhaps we'll do it again in a few months. Thanks, Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, what do you think of that one? Did you enjoy hearing a different perspective, a UK perspective? Again, it was slightly different. I was surprised with their thoughts around gun ownership. Quite interesting, really. I, I understand what they're saying. I don't know. It's a funny one. I get every single argument I hear about guns and the right to defend yourself at the same time. I don't know. I just quite like the fact in the UK we don't have a lot of guns. I know that comes with implications and I know what the arguments against me are for this. But it just is, if I'm always open and transparent, that is one area I wrestle with. Now, if you haven't heard any of my other libertarian shows before, um, there is quite a few of them now, and you can check them all out on my website. So if you go to whatbitcoindid.com, up on the top, there's a like podcast link. If you roll over that, there is another link for topics. So I actually arrange all my shows in topics. And if you go into that, you can find the libertarian section. I think there's like six interviews in there. So you can go and check out any previous shows I've done regarding that. And if you have heard any of my previous shows, you know I struggle with this idea of moving from this huge overreaching government to no government whatsoever. And I discussed with Eric Voorhees one time, and he was the one who really put me onto this idea. It's like, stop thinking of state, then no state. Let's talk about reducing the size of the state just by 1% or 5%, just 5% every year. And that was one of the things that's always stuck with me that... I always felt like if I fully declared myself as a libertarian, I be, would be one who would want to engage in the political process. I would want to be there showing people a, an alternative option to their traditional two, let's say two party, I know in other countries it isn't, but two party left right politics, give them this essentially a vote out. And if you're, there are any wins in the political process and you can argue and debate for less government and you can fight for less kind of stringent and overreaching laws that encroach on civil liberties. Now, I do understand it's not for a lot of people, but just look, this is where my thinking is right now. 
Okay, I just want to say massive thanks to Adam and Sean for coming on the show. If you do have any feedback, you want to chat, do hit me up. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. It's quite interesting when I do these libertarian shows. I do get a lot of emails about it, people sharing their perspective, either challenging some of my ideas or agreeing with me. I, I do get a range of emails, so it's pretty interesting. Do feel free to reach out to me. It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Outside of that, the weekend has come in. Hopefully some of these lockdowns are going to be ending soon. It's been a bit of a drain on everyone. But if you do want some additional content, you can check out my other show. It's on Defiance. I've got some interesting stuff coming up there. I'm going to be moving away from the normal, just standard interview format. I'm going to be doing some going to be doing some kind of mini documentaries so they're going to be worth checking out yep outside of that if you want to reach out to me though it is hello at whatbitcoindid.com and i do hope you have a great weekend see you soon